Well, welcome to the Mill Church. I'm glad you're here today. If you're visiting with us and would be kind enough to fill out a welcome card, we would be uh, grateful to have a little bit of information on you and get acquainted better. You can do that at uh, themill.church slash welcome, themill.church slash welcome on your smartphone anytime during the service. You can also do that by filling out a hard copy at the high top table at the back of the room when you leave today. We'd appreciate a better opportunity to learn names of your family members, to answer any prayer requests. Uh, just love to reach out to you. There is a lot happening at the Mill Church right now. I'm going to be going over a number of announcements at the end of today's service, but for now I want to tell you about life groups. We passed these around last week was your first time hearing about them, at least on a Sunday morning. So I'd like to tell you that we have coming up, and Art's going to help me pass these around shortly, a Monday night Stratford group at 6.30 p.m., and a that's my group. That's going to start October 4, I believe the date is, first Monday in October. Tuesday at 6.30, Kurt and Missy Schmidt are leading here in Stratford, and Marshfield Tuesday at 6.30. Uh, there are a number of people already signed up for the Marshfield group. I'm a little jealous. They always have the largest life group. Not sure what's going on there. Um, but there's our Marshfield group. Uh, if you'd be interested in, let me just um, tell you what life groups are about, why this is, uh, while this is going around. What are life groups? I'll define them for you. They're simple, small relational groups for Bible study and prayer. We get together, we study the Bible, we're studying a book with lots of scriptures about unity this particular uh, semester, but they meet in people's homes, they also meet here, now that we have a, an awesome facility that's capable of handling uh, groups, uh, we're having some meet here this fall. Uh, where do they meet? Again, homes and here, and then why should I care? Why should I care? Here's why you should care. You need friends. Are you aware of that? Especially in the COVID era, the pandemic era, you need people to do life with. Um, we are isolated. You know that, right? Naturally. We're isolated. And so this allows you an, an opportunity, unlike what Sunday morning allows you, which is lots of acquaintances. Hi, oh, I saw you three weeks ago, the last time you were here, right? I recognize your scruffy face, Ken, or whatever. Um, I'm a little scruffy today, too. Or you can say, hey, it's so great getting to know with you and praying with you about your need last Monday night. How are you doing? How's that going? Are you any better? Tell me about that relationship that's hurtful. Have you, are you still harboring unforgiveness in your heart, right? These are the kinds of opportunities that life groups create. Or, or what about, hey, your kids are my kids' age. They clearly get along at life group. Why not have a play date? Oh, that's a great idea. Look what life group created for us. A date without our children, right? So you never know what's going to happen when you meet and rub shoulders with people. Um, and this is hard to do on a Sunday morning, so that's the purpose of a life group. 
All right. I'm going to introduce uh, some awesome, faithful missionaries, we call them. I'm not sure that they would refer to themselves as missionaries. You do. We certainly refer to you as missionaries from Shirley's House of Hope in Marshfield. Will you give Shirley's House of Hope? They're going to introduce themselves. A kind welcome to the Mill Church. And we'll get an update. Thanks, Julie, for coming. Thank you so much for having us. I'm Julie Crevillian, co-founder and executive director of Shirley's House of Hope. And with me today is Patty, and she is a program graduate who's also um, used our resource center. And Tammy Radetzky, who is our uh, development director. Going to get those titles right. Yeah, and a good friend. <laughs> So, first of all, I want to say thank you uh, just for your support and your prayers. Um, you are faithful uh, monthly partners for Hope at Shirley's House of Hope, and we can't tell you how much um, we just we value that and we need that. Our mission is to rebuild, renew, and restore lives of women and children hurting from domestic violence along with drug and alcohol addiction. We are a Christian uh, ministry. And we, in the past 10 years, have served over 550 uh, women and children uh, during that time. And every one of them is a success because every one of them, because of you, has received the love of Christ. And it has changed their life. And so I will let uh, Patty have the mic and let her share a little bit about, you know, what it's like for a woman to be in the program and what Shirley's House of Hope means to her. Thank you, Julie. Good morning. Um, I actually wanted to say first off that um, I'm the lady in the story, in this month's story. So there's, in the newsletter, yeah, there's a picture and it's not me and a different name, not mine. But anyway, so now you know. But <laughs> um, I'm just, I'm going to stick to my paper because my story spans like 30 years and, um, and lots of different types of abuse and things. Um, but I was a Christian, just saying that I was a Christian during that time. And here I go, because I'm going to get off on a rabbit trail. Okay. Why? Okay. Okay. All right. My life, um, before entering the program at Shirley's House of Hope, was full of verbal, emotional, and mental abuse over a span of 30 plus years. You see, I was married to a quote unquote Christian man. We had 10 children together, and as the years passed, he became more outright abusive. The abuses, abusive behaviors included belittling, name calling, alienating us from community, and extended family. He set unrealistic expectations and he used the Bible to control and manipulate me and the kids as they came into adolescence. I realized that he was cutting my daughters off from me one by one because they didn't surrender to his will any longer. It was so oppressive and depressing in our home that I left and sought refuge at Shirley's House of Hope in 2014. Me and six of my kids stayed there for three weeks until it was safe for us to return home and their dad had moved out. 
A long story short, the Lord revealed to me that sexual abuse of some children inside and outside of our family had taken place. We divorced and long litigation ensued. During the time I unraveled, at one point I tried to take my life. My children held an intervention and I got help in the secular realm this time. But I still struggled over the next few years using recreational uh, drugs to cope with all that I had had to do. My husband left um, a huge void in our family, not having him there abusing us anymore. My children held a second intervention, and in the spring of 2020, they dropped me off at Shirley's House of Hope for a second time. Shirley's offered me a much-needed time of solitude and rest. I had no responsibilities outside of the program. I did not have to work or stress about finances and all other burdens I carried. I had a deep, deep sorrow. I called it my pit of sorrows. Through daily devotions, praise and worship, Bible study, and counseling, I discovered I was carrying a load of guilt that wasn't mine to carry. Though um, through many tears and repeatedly letting that load drop off, I became strong. I could say so much more about this. I graduated the nine-month program and moved to the recovery center. It was such a gift to be able to stay there while I slowly entered the workforce and began building my relationship with my kids. Shirley's is what God used to bring me full circle back to him. And for that, I am so thankful. Thank you. Well, thank you for sharing, Patty, and um, thank you all for coming alongside of Shirley's House of Hope. We're just so blessed to have a local mission here um, for abused women and children and also addiction. Um, how can you come alongside, um, if that's what you're wondering? Um, October is Domestic Violence and Addiction Awareness Month, and we have a theme in our campaign called Time to Take a Stand. And so we hope that you'll all take a stand with us to help more people like Patty, such as prayer. Prayer is so important um, for us. Um, we start the day every day and pray all day long through it all because these, um, these lives are, are messy and hard. And, um, and Satan has been stealing, and we don't want him to steal any longer. Um, also, we have two events coming up. Um, October 1st and 2nd is the New Beginnings Conference that is going to be held at Faith Fellowship. And um, that all um, came about because at Shirley's, one of our classes is called the Genesis Process. And that is... Um, um, really helps the ladies in tools in overcoming addiction and destructive behaviors and tools um, to prevent relapse. And so very um, important for all of us to, um, because we all have addictive behaviors. Or if you're coming alongside of someone else, it really will help with the tools for all that. So sign up today at um, faithfellowship.life, $20, and that includes lunch. Really a wonderful. And then we have the Iron Chef 
um, November 4th. We hope you'll all attend. You can go online at Shirley's House of Hope and, and purchase tickets, sponsor the event. You can even be a part of the silent auction without even being there if you cannot attend. So we hope you'll join us. We, we're going to have four or five chefs competing this year, and it's at Hotel Marshfield, new venue. So stop and see us after um, service today and um, see how many ways you can partner, even volunteering or becoming a monthly partner. Thank you so much. Thanks, Tammy. Can you guys hang for just a minute? I want to pray for Shirley's. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this amazing... First, we thank you for entrepreneurial hearts and minds, people who work in the secular you know, in a secular vocation and feel called to start something new um, that's uh, of, of a kingdom focus. And I thank you for those who started Shirley's House of Hope. We thank you for its influence for a number of years now. And we just pray that every financial need, Lord, would be met. You own the cattle on a thousand hills. Lord, you're clearly able. So we trust you and we lean into you to see uh, the full vision of helping women in central Wisconsin who have been hurt in so many ways uh, find you and, and find a sustainable and beautiful way of living again. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Would you give a hand to Shirley's House of Hope again? Thank you, Julie. All right, well, having uh, just wrapped up the book of Daniel, we're beginning a new series this morning, but I have to tell you, uh, I'll, before we jump in, kind of tangentially remind you that in John 6, so we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these four biographers of Jesus' life. And in John chapter 6, Jesus records this sermon, and he basically loses the crowd. He pretty much loses his, his audience. Um, it may be considered even Jesus' worst sermon. Isn't it hard to believe that Jesus would have a bad sermon? It was bad in the sense that, I say it tongue-in-cheek, but in that it ran people off. It was such a strange, odd sermon. John was there. John tells us effectively, this is the day we lost the crowd. This is the day we lost the church. This is the day that everybody was so offended that they said, you know what? Uh, we, we like the free food, Jesus. We love when you multiply the little kids' lunchable. We love that. We love, Jesus, when you uh, do miracles and, and people's shriveled hands, you know, go back to normal and that kind of thing. But this sermon, we're out of here. We can't handle this. We can't tolerate this. So before I tell you what we're going to be talking about for the next several weeks, I want you to know that it's not lost on me, your pastor, that this may very well be our John 6 moment as a church. When the crowd was so offended at the words of Jesus that they walk away. This may be the day where we lose the crowd. Where people say, you know what, pastor? I like the coffee. It's nice. Uh, we like the music. In fact, your violinist is awesome. Uh, we haven't seen that in other area churches. She's pretty special. But you know what? 
we're out. We're out. Um, so what am I going to do? I'm going to plunge ahead with this series anyway. That's what I'm going to do. Okay? So we're just going to do this. And if you do leave offended, I do hope you'll come back. The reason, by the way, that you may be offended is I'm going to teach you how to do something that you already think you know how to do, but I'm not necessarily trying to teach you what to do, uh, but rather how to do it, and how to do it in a way that glorifies God. And here's my promise to you in this series. Turn to your neighbor and say this, okay? You may leave offended, but you sure won't be bored. Say, Say it one more time. You may leave offended, but you sure won't be bored. And the reason I decided to do this is because statistically, most Americans are not this. They don't know how to do this. In fact, most Christians um, themselves don't know how to do this and are not this. And I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, but pastor, we're not average at the Mill Church. We're above average. Um, yes, I concede. You're certainly above average. But... Chances are um, you struggle with this in some capacity. And so what I'm going to do for the next several weeks, everybody say several weeks. Okay. So at the end of several weeks, that's when you'd want to come back, okay, if you get offended and leave in several weeks. At the end of several weeks, um, this is what, uh, or or I should say over the course of several weeks, I'm going to talk to you about generosity, about generosity. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. To be clear, I'm not interested in telling you what to do as much as I'm interested in in telling you how to be, how to be, how to live. This is a be, not a do. As soon as somebody tells you that you're uh, below average at something, like I just said, Americans in general are below average at, at this, or you don't do something. What do, what do we do in our human nature? What do we do? We immediately, now that you already have the subject matter, the topic at hand, we immediately think of one day when we were generous. We immediately think of one season where we were, we, we immediately have a little attorney that starts working, uh, you know, for our defense in, inside of our heads. And, and I remember when I was, that certain way at one time or on one day. You know, when Shannon says, um, Zach, you just don't help enough around the house. You just don't help enough around the house. And when I say, where does my mind go? But honey, back in 2009, do you remember? If if you'll recall, Shannon, okay? Um, So, of course, we think, we're the one person that's an exception to this rule. Um, you could walk up to the meanest person you know and say, do you realize everybody thinks you're mean? And what will that mean person do? That mean person will immediately think of the one nice thing that that person said seven years ago to somebody on this particular park bench somewhere, and they define their lives that way by remembering these incidental moments. Well, I want to push back in this series and say, we need to be taught how to live generously. Because it's quite possible that while you think you are generous, nobody's ever taught you what it means to be generous. It's quite possible, in fact, that your 
not. And immediately you're thinking, are you kidding me? I mean, I served in the food pantry for for goodness sakes, and I give $14, you know, a week to the charity of, of my choice, and, and that's why I say up front, this may be our John 6 moment, because I want to challenge you. Understand that when we talk about generosity, this is what we're not talking about, but it's often conflated with or confused with generosity. We're not talking about random acts of kindness. That's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about um, most Americans are good, they're, they're great when they pull up to a drive through window for coffee and the person working there says, um, hey, sir, ma'am, just wanted to let you know the person in front of you, they bought your drink today. Free espresso on that individual. What do we do? I would hope. <laughs> we say, cool. I'm going to what? I'm going to pass this along to the next guy. I'm going to pay it forward, right? So I'll, I'll buy the next person's coffee. That's a nice thing to do. And we get goosebumps. Aw. Aren't we generous? And in fact, I hope you would agree that that came with a bit of persuasion. We persuade ourselves. Or it came with at least some inspiration. Wow, that person inspired me by what they did. I should do that too. Maybe even it came with a little guilt. Ooh. Man, I really should buy the next person's drink. I mean, what is the barista in the apron going to think of me if I don't buy the next person? I mean, it's a blessing to me. I mean, I should really take the 4 or $5 and break and call it a day and smile. Oh, but then, what? W- and we play these games. The truth is, I would say most of our generosity in life comes at the tail end of some kind of of sales pitch. Meaning, somebody makes a need known, and it's like, wow, maybe I should do that. Now, don't get me wrong, the more acts of kindness, the better, but for the next few weeks, I want to talk specifically about how to be generous, which is totally different. Generosity actually transcends. It rises above persuasion. It rises above inspiration. It rises, it it transcends even feelings of of guilt. Generous people aren't as much moved by a sales pitch. Generous people have overcome that. They've moved beyond the sales pitches. So when you learn generosity, you'll not only give more in your life away, you'll also consume less. And to those of you who are frugal, you'll be happy to know that you actually, if you live more generously, save more. Ironically, you actually save more. Those who give more, save more. Now, there's a small group of people who are an exception to this. And I would say uh, some of you have already saved so much, so much over the course of your life that you're like borderline money hoarder, Okay. That's a lot of, you know, that's a ton of money, right, that you're sitting watching. And, and, and at times, um, you know, you have more money than the people in church six rows ahead of you all put together or six rows behind you all put together. And you know what? You're still nervous about your bank account. 
even though you have the most. That's the way that works. You're still sweating over whether or not it's, it's enough. And you're not nervous because you don't have enough money. Clearly you do. You're nervous because you've never learned to be generous. And so you have an overwhelming insecurity always in the back of your mind. Is this enough? 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 You can have a lot of wealth. You can even write checks with zeros on the end and still not learn what it means to live generously. Um, I've, already, I've already promised you that you may be offended in this series, that, that you also will not be bored in this series. Now let me give you a promise from Jesus, uh, because Jesus promises that you will actually be happier. I'm going to read the text at the end of today's message, but if you want to be happier, this is a great series to attend, because those who are generous are also happier. Think about people that you would describe as generous. Okay? Are people who you can think of right now by name in your head, don't holler out their names, but would you describe them as happy people? Now let me flip the coin. Think of somebody that you would consider miserly. I had a roommate in college. I hope he doesn't listen to this sermon. Tightwad, right? He would draw lines on the milk carton to make sure nobody drank a little bit of his milk with Sharpie. So what do we do? We drink a little and add a little water. That's all you do. Just fill it right back up to that line. Of course, that's what you do. Okay? But just tight as could be. So I'm going to take this a step further for those of you who are parents. Especially if you're a parent. If you're a parent and have a high school senior living with you, or if you're a parent and have a freshman, sophomore, junior, or senior in college, or maybe even graduate school, or if you have a junior higher in school that's a little bit above average, which of course your student, of course the child in your home is above average, of course. Here's another promise to you, okay? If you'll have your student in church over the next several weeks, your student in church, Um, To be clear, this isn't a Dave Ramsey's Financial Peace University for kids. But I'll tell you, if you'll have your kids here for the next several weeks, I promise, this is actually a promise I hope I don't fall short on, but I think I can deliver this, that we can together work at it so that when they are old, or rather when you're old, when you're old, they'll have, they'll have enough money to take care of you. Mean it. So you yourself may have totally jacked up your finances if you're an adult in this room with junior high, senior high kids. You yourself may never open up to a generous way of life. You may yourself stay calloused at heart. But if you'll trust me to teach your kids, what I'm promising you is that later in your life, you will be better off. That's not an overreach. That's how powerful a life lived generously will be. My dad says, take care of your kids because your kids are the ones that choose your nursing home. Right? So we're going to take care of your kids in this series. Um, Ordering uh, not just a few uh, 
reordering, I should say, not just a few acts of kindness, but your life altogether. Uh, this affects every part of your life. Generosity, this is a keystone habit, meaning uh, it affects other habits in your life. So the reason this has to be taught, even though everyone here thinks perhaps that you're generous, is again because generosity is not natural. Everybody say unnatural. It's unnatural. Generosity is the title of this series, and I'm not big on titles, so I have to actually look back at my notes to figure out what the title of my series is. Different kind of crazy. Living generously is a different kind of crazy. It's unnatural. Um, it's not just unnatural. Well, if you have children, you know this. We have to teach our kids to share, do we not? Parents, am I the only one with kids under 10 here, and every day there's a squabble? over some object inside the house, some object that no adult would ever want, but they want, and they're insistent, I'm going to have that even though it's yours, sibling, okay? It's unnatural for kids to share. Adults are more civilized, more socialized, but they still have the same hearts bent. There is still, to be honest, something inside of us that resists a tendency to give things away that we've worked for. There's resistance. In the United States and some Western countries, generosity, even though it's not natural, I think this is worth mentioning, it is cultural. What do you mean by that, Pastor? The reason uh, for generosity in a place like the United States of America, the reason why it's popular, and I don't have time to try to prove this to you, and you probably don't have time to try to believe this, but I want to throw it out, okay? Um, generosity is cultural in the United States because in a nation in the world that does not have a Judeo-Christian tradition attached to it with a long history of strong Christian influence, we see generosity tank. Again, in nations like those in Europe, where we see a strong history, a shadow of Christian values at least still remain, some vestige of Christianity, generosity is a part of that culture as an ought to. Okay? We ought to give. We ought to be. It's not natural, but it's it's cultural. So those nations do not have as part of their culture uh, a strong Christian influence. By contrary, say things like this, boy, we better take, um, we better not take some of the Afghan people. Okay? We'd not better take any refugees. The nations that don't have Judeo-Christian history um, say this isn't generally, generally there are exceptions, this isn't our what? problem, okay? Anecdotally, there are wealthy Americans who, who build big vacation homes uh, overseas in places, and they're good-hearted people. They, they want the vacation home, nothing wrong uh, with, with wealth. Wealth is uh, neutral, ethically, okay? Uh, just because you're rich doesn't mean you're an evil person. Just because you're poor doesn't mean you're a noble person, 
Every human heart is inclined to listen to God or to to resist God. So money is morally neutral. However, there are some Christians who have started nonprofits, such as orphanages and things overseas. And what do they find when they go and try to collaborate with the affluent people in that country of origin? No thanks, I'm not called to that. Why aren't they called to that? It's not a cultural thing in those countries. So, generosity isn't natural, although sometimes it's cultural, which can make us think it's natural. Crazy, isn't it? Crazy is natural, however. Not with generosity, but it is with money. You're aware that people are crazy with money, right? Are you aware of this? I hope you're aware of this. Most Americans spend more money than they make. How many of you would say that's crazy? It's so normal in America that it's not crazy. But it's actually crazy to spend more than we make. People do it. Not only that, Americans pay interest and lots of interest. They pay interest on things that decrease in value the moment, the moment that they drive it off the lot or build it. So what happens? The value goes down, and due to the interest, the cost goes what? That's crazy! That's crazy! It's not normal, but it is. Here, here's something that's just as crazy. We don't feel rich, and yet we are. We are. We f- it's kind of ironic. We feel, we don't feel rich and we are, but we feel generous and we're often not. Isn't that something? So if somebody from a third world country were to drop in your life today on Sunday, September the 19th, and you were to say, I'm not rich, they would say, are you kidding you, you don't have a dirt floor in your home. You have a mattress and a pit. What? That, a pillow? What is a pillow? What is a pillowcase? What is that? You mean that's just to keep the pillow from getting dirty? Yes, that's just to keep the. Wow, you are rich. You're rich. And we would try to explain the financial pressure we feel. Oh, but no, you don't understand. We're stressed. And someone from that third world country would listen to your complaints about the financial pressure that you feel that you have brought on your self. And they would think you're crazy. Why did you do that? Nobody in our country would ever think about doing that. I see now why you're stressed. So having stirred the pot a bit, by way of introduction, I want to give you four myths about generosity to start off this series. Here are the four myths. Number one, generosity is spontaneous. That's actually a myth. I go to a football game and 
I listened to Jesus and I supported the school system. And out of the goodness of my heart, I bought $25 in raffle tickets when that gang guy came by my row. Isn't that something? I did. I did. I'm generous. Or the family down the street has a tough time. So the neighborhood collects some money. Oh, yeah, here's some money. Is that generosity? That's spontaneous giving. That's cool. That's random. But it's not generosity. Generous people are actually less spontaneous in their giving than are the non-generous. Let me say that again. Generous people are more predictable, less spontaneous in their giving than are the non-generous. It's not hit and miss giving. In other words, generosity is planned. Generosity is purposeful. Myth number two. My generosity is determined by my cash flow. We think, I can afford to be generous today, but I can't afford to be generous tomorrow. I just got paid, so I can afford to be generous. Or we're at the end of the month, so we can't afford right now to be generous. The idea that somehow generosity or a person's ability to be a generous person is determined by cash flow is a myth. Generous people are not inconsistently generous. They're generous by way of a lifestyle. So if you're one of those people who says, I give when I can afford it, and I don't give when I can't afford it, the chances are you're a giver, yes, but you've yet to learn the principle of generosity. Oftentimes, generosity means you give, not borrow. You give when you can't see how that's possible. Myth number three, it's the amount that counts. It's the amount that counts. That's actually a myth. It's not the amount that counts. You've heard it a thousand times. I've probably said it a thousand times erroneously. But a $50,000 gift does not mean it's a generous gift. It doesn't. The only one who knows if a $50,000 gift is a generous gift is who? The person who gave it. Because generosity is but a sliver of that person's total portfolio and finances. So unless they could see the whole picture, one couldn't tell you whether any X amount was, in fact, generous. Adding zeros to the amount of money does not make it more generous. See, giving is, again, it's just, it's just a piece. So, that may sound a bit negative. Do you mean, Pastor, that uh, the $2,500 or the $25,000 or the $250,000 that I gave for this building was not generous? I don't know. I can't make that judgment. Only you can make that judgment. 
Do you know that our lowest pledge in uh, Bulb, which was the fundraising, the two-year fundraising um, initiative to get inside this building so that we could worship here and have a new permanent home, uh, do you know what the smallest gift was? The smallest pledge? Five dollars. Five dollars. I'm convinced it took this sweetheart more money in postage to send us pieces of that $5 over the course of two years than it did to give the $5. Actually, that wasn't the lowest. Some people chose not to participate. But for the purposes of a, of a concrete example, let me just say this. Um, it's possible that that $5 was more generous than a $25,000 commitment. Do you see what I'm saying? That may have been all that lady had. That may have been her last two coins. Here's the beautiful upside of this myth in particular. This means that everybody, everybody, here's a positive spin, can be, no matter their level of income, no matter their cash flow, can be what? Generous. That's what it means. Myth number four, kind of like myth number three, rich people are generous. The line of thinking is, pastor, when I win the lottery. Now, I've had some generous people tell me this who are already generous. But pastor, when I win the lottery, I'm going to pay off the church Pastor, when I become rich, we're going to build phase two. Then I'm going to be generous. So let me just clear this myth up. Rich people are rich and generous people are generous. Will you say that with me? Rich people are rich and generous people are generous. It's not that they're indirectly correlated. It's that they're not correlated. At all. So being wealthy, having affluence, and I believe God gives wealth to us to steward properly, appropriately, to be generous. But that has nothing to do with whether or not you are generous. And let me just predict something for those of you in your 20s. Okay? If you're in your 20s, and you are not generous making $30,000 a year, you will not be generous making $100,000 a year. It does not happen with promotions. It does not happen with increases. It does not happen with age. So real quickly, I'm going to give you a working definition of generosity. And we're going to go to it throughout the series. Because I know you can't wait to come back. You're just sitting on pins and needles. Yes! Cancel our plans! Let's spend all winter on this topic. So I'm going to give you a working definition. Are you ready? Generosity is the premeditated Calculated and designated freedom to give away something of 
value. Generosity is the premeditated, calculated, and designated freedom to give away something of value. Premeditated meaning you have a plan. You've thought about it. Calculated meaning you decide how much. Designated because you have to decide where it's going to go. Who's going to be the recipient of my generosity? Is it going to be Shirley's House of Hope? I'm sure you guys would appreciate that, right? Okay? Shannon and I support a couple missionaries. Is it going to be those missionaries? Is it going to be um, this child through World Vision or some other philanthropic organization that feeds the hungry? Is it going to be the local church? Is it going to be, you insert any charity. My grandfather for years supported the Wounded Warriors Project. To whom are you going to be generous? So premeditated, calculated, designated freedom, meaning because generous people understand they can become possessed by their possessions. They can. And in order to not be possessed, not be strangled, not be choked off, I will tell you, I have more than enough things, by the way, to change the oil on. Things aren't always fun. Oftentimes, more stuff means bigger headaches. Ask any farmer. Freedom. Because generous people understand they're not going to be possessed by their possessions. They don't want to be a possessor to begin with. So in this series, it's not about being generous with your time. You can do that. Not about being generous with your relationships. You can do that too. Um, Those things are important. It's specifically about being generous with your resources. You may be offended but you will not be bored. And I want to leave you with this scripture to conclude our introduction. I promise I didn't this morning, but we'll engage much of God's word through this series. This is it, Acts 20, verse 35. In all things I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak, And remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, would you say this with me? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Father, I pray that as many of us have experienced at Christmas time in the joy of giving someone a gift that they themselves are overjoyed to open and receive that we will draw near to that place in our hearts over the next several weeks. Lord, I've joked a lot about offense this morning, but I pray, Lord, that we would be um, not defensive, but that we would be welcoming what you would say, knowing, God, that it increases our joy, knowing that it decreases our stress, knowing that we save more, knowing that we pay down debt quicker. Lord, this is a keystone habit 
that leads to so many other good financial habits, like, for example, budgeting, though that's not going to be a focus of ours. But I pray, Lord, that you would teach us, give us humility, help us to grow, to learn, to be better for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, I'm excited. So Nate, raise your hand. I didn't necessarily plan on uh, making this announcement this morning. We're going to be releasing it in October. But we're going to be actually doing a financial series uh, beginning in November for small groups. And it's going to be sponsored by Thrivent. Uh, We're going to look at things like estate planning for those of you who are older, how to leave uh, an inheritance for your children's children, budgeting, all kinds of nifty uh, chats related to personal finance. I believe we decided to host the class in the commons area during the first service. So you could theoretically attend the class and then attend at the 1030 if you choose to stick around. We would hope you would do that. Um, But it'll be available starting in November. We'll give you more concrete details. It'll be four events uh, over the course of next year, I should say, kind of our our fall to spring uh, calendar, four uh, days of of material. So I'm going to pray for our offering. Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'd continue to bless us. Lord, I thank you that that, uh, we are somehow, by your provision, tracking financially as a church family in a crazy year of a new $9,000 a month expense. Lord, I just pray that you would help us get out of our own debt. The truth is that we are paying interest, and interest isn't always bad on really long-term purchases like homes or buildings. But Lord, we just pray that in due time, we would as a church experience freedom too. And we pray that we would be able to minister more and as a result of that freedom. We love you. We trust you. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen.